live from the JBMP studios, it's the Jake Motel Football Experience. And now here's your host, Jake Botel. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everybody in between, welcome to another episode of the Jake Botel Football Experience. A pleasure as always to have your company. And today I am privileged to have some guests on from another podcast. They are the lads from the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. We've got Ryan, John and Ben. How you doing, lads? Outstanding. How are you doing, Jake? Oh, most excellent, man. You guys sweating off through summer? Yeah, yeah I dealing I was with that New Mexico heat right now. Right now. <laughs> well, at least you got some baseball for now. <laughs> well, I don't know how long that'll last, but <laughs> it's good while, good while it's going. Yeah, I was debating uh, earlier whether or not I get MLB TV because I can't watch it any other way um, unless I uh, lash out and spend some dollars. I'm like, I might hold off a week and just see how things uh, roll out before I <laughs> hand over my hard-earned cash. That's smart. Yeah, yeah. So today I'm really excited about this episode because I'm obviously someone who hasn't played the game of football um, and I'm fascinated about a subject that you guys know lots about, and that is the trenches, where games are won and lost, the heart and soul of the football team. And I really want to pick your brains about all that. You guys have got a podcast that you've started that clearly is going to deal with all this sort of stuff, I'd imagine, amongst other things. Um, how did you guys, for, off the bat, I ask this of everybody, how did you guys fall in love with football? Yeah, I grew up watching the game. Uh, finally got to play when I was in eighth grade. Uh, and then my team went to nationals. And from that point on, it's been absolute diehard love for me. Uh, I haven't been able to stop watching. I haven't been able to stop following it. I got a deeper knowledge of the game. And it just it increased as I played through high school and then started following college when I went there. Um, it's just been nuts, man. It's been a wild ride. And I've loved it every step of the way. So for me... Uh, kind of like how I ended up getting tattoos. It was one of those things growing up. My uh, my parents were just like, no, you can't do it. You can't do it. And finally, I was in fifth or sixth grade. And they're like, all right, uh, we'll let you play once you get to high school. Like, we're not going to stop you then. Uh, so I only got to play for four years. But uh, especially when I was really young, growing up near uh, St. Louis, just about two hours away, you know, had the greatest show on turf going on. And everybody in the area where I grew up was a St. Louis fan anyway. Uh, so being introduced uh, to football really kind of that way and then uh, watching the Bears and D'Angelo Williams was at Memphis when my sister went to school there and then I went to school at the University of Memphis as they started to get a better football program so it's just been one of those things where uh, kind of luck and uh, luck and where I was at the time I guess right place right time kind of influenced my uh, my love for the game and uh yeah, I'm like the exact opposite of that story. I actually started playing football when I was five years old, and my dad was the head coach 
of all my teams all the way up until high school. Mm. And uh, I, I just – I love football. I can't get enough of it. I watched the Cleveland Browns growing up in northern Ohio, uh, Ohio State Buckeyes. I've stuck with the Buckeyes. Can't say as much about the Browns. Uh, <laughs> but I still watch a lot of football every chance I get. I love the game. I, I wish I could still be playing, but I don't really qualify for the NFL, so – I'm stuck watching it instead. I don't say that, it. man. You got the size. <laughs> I got the size, not the uh, not the athletic ability. Let's put it that way. Well, that's a, that's a nice lead-in because I like. There's a term that floats around on broadcasts and and other areas of NFL media of skill positions, right? Now, this is one of the most blatantly offensive terms in all of sport to me, to, to classify quarterbacks, wide receivers, tight ends, running backs at skill positions and leaving out the most important positions on the field. Can you guys speak to the skills required to play on the line? What are the tools of your trade on? I, I guess, did some of you guys play defensive line and offensive line? Did you play both? Can you speak to the different skill sets required? Because as far as I'm concerned, the uh, the linemen are absolutely skill positions of the game. So I, I'll oh. just go ahead and say, and linemen are freakishly more athletic than people give them credit for. Mm. Um, and I, I believe our other my other guys here, uh, Ben and uh, Duggar, are going to touch on this. Uh, their footwork is some of the best that I've ever seen. And especially when you get to the pro level, even the college level, it's, it's stellar footwork. Uh, that, that's the key because you got to get yourself a base uh, and you got to keep that base because you're literally moving mountains on a play-to-play basis. Uh, and then from there, it's, it's all in hand placement. So you, you need to know how to move your hands to keep your hands in the right spot to maintain that leverage that you need to win, win the battle. Um, and, and those are the two main things that I can touch on right there. But I only played one season on the line, and I believe both of uh, Ben and Doug have played uh, extensively more in the line than I have. So I'll, I'll definitely say the only time uh, quarterbacks, receivers, uh, running backs, defensive backs, the only time it didn't offend me when they were referred to as skill positions is uh, when we were doing conditioning at the end of practice because they're running <laughs> and they're, they're, uh, their splits are a lot faster than ours so i was just like oh cool i can run slower sweet <laughs> no but uh you know there's there's this big uh connotation that if you're a lineman you're just a big dumb lineman that's actually how we open the show our show is you know we're more than just big dumb linemen we know a thing or two about this game uh it's because the assumption is we're big we're dumb all we do is see somebody in front of us and hit them and it's not really that simple you know uh tug mentioned uh uh footwork and on the offensive line especially uh, a lot more footwork's involved because if you're doing a pass block uh, you're automatically just stepping backwards and so you can't just step backwards and end up on your heels because then you're just going to get knocked over Uh, but if you don't have good foot if you don't have good footwork it doesn't matter if you step back fast enough or not and then if you're doing a, a pull or you know any type of trap play or counter play where the uh, offensive lineman is going to pull out from instead of going forward, they're going to step back, go down the line one way or another to lead, be a lead blocker. Essentially, you got to have some good footwork to get around your fellow lineman and to make and you got to be fast enough to make sure the back doesn't run into you from behind. 
Then, uh, then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, sometimes there's a uh, twist rush, which is basically the same thing, just one defensive lineman going over and the other going under. So uh, there, there's a lot of footwork and a lot of hand speed uh, involved in the offensive and defensive line. I think Doug probably, you have anything to add to that or I missed you know, miss something. I think the most important things that you guys missed was just the simple fact of getting leverage, any leverage you can get in the explosion off of the line, whether you're talking offensive or defensive lines, it's the explosion and staying in a position where you have the leverage to actually move the person in front of you to get where you need to go. Or if in the case of the offensive lineman to get them where you want them to go, that leverage and that explosion in addition to the footwork and the hands and all keeping all these things in mind, keeping them all in perfect, you know, synchronization to get where you need to be. That's really difficult to do consistently play after play. And the best, the best in the game are the ones who are actually able to do that every single time. And you, you sometimes you'll see the most talented offensive lineman in the world, but he just isn't able to do it consistently it's the guys who can both produce and do it every single snap that actually make it to the NFL. I think the other interesting thing, especially looking at the defenses, uh, you know, especially with the, the edge rushers, whether it's a defensive end or uh, a three, five linebacker who's, you know, a specialized pass rusher, like somebody like Khalil Mack, Vaughn Miller, those type of guys. Uh, if you're in one of those positions, you can either just run straight through somebody or you'll see them. They're going to be just every bit as agile in those real small, quick, confined spaces as some of the best wide receivers when you watch them running routes. And you see a lot of similar footwork, a lot of similar chops and moves and all that, and it's a completely different position. Yeah, I mean, I think people, and this will sort of lead into my next question, but, you know, there's a lot of – uh, not just a misunderstanding, but people almost don't know exactly what they're looking at or what they're looking for. And I totally include myself in that. Um, so obviously I'm six foot, about 170 pounds. So I weigh probably roughly the same amount as like someone, one of the, an offensive lineman's leg. Um, so for a guy like me, who's slender, I've never played the game. How can I better understand the position from, from a spectator's point of view? If I'm sitting there on, on a Sunday what, or on a Monday for me watching NFL, how do I get better at, at, at looking at the game and, and analyzing it? Can I understand, can I learn to understand how that battle in the trenches is going? So I'll, I'll cover this first from, from the offensive side. The first thing that I say, anyone who doesn't truly understand, you know, what's going on in the trenches, the battles that are really going on there. First thing I, I tell everyone to understand, uh, and I coach youth, youth football too, and this is what I drill into my linemen because I'm a lineman coach for the youth guys. Uh, I tell them, hey, you are what makes every play. On a play-to-play basis, if you cannot win the battle in the trenches, especially on the offensive side, you're, you're not going anywhere. Right, So most people will see a big pass play, and most people will see a big run play, but they, they won't see what caused that. And yeah, sure, there's definitely plays out there where running backs you know, break one off after breaking five tackles in the backfield, and they just happen to bit break a big run. But that happens on maybe 5% of those big runs. So if you, if you, when you're watching the game, 
and you see a big run, you might not notice the blocking right away, but it's almost worth it to rewind the game that one play and just watch the hole open up. Because on, like I said, on 95 of those plays, you're going to watch the hole just, it's going to part like the Red Sea. The, the offensive line is going to get that just, just right push, and you're going to see where the running back was supposed to run, and it's just nothing but daylight. On the pass side, it's a little different because you're not going to see that big open, big open hole in a lot of green space. Instead, what you're going to see is almost a perfectly formed semicircle around the quarterback. It's what we call the pocket. It's why we call it the pocket. And if that's held for, you know, four or five seconds and the quarterback just has nothing but time, receivers and, or uh, I'm sorry, cornerbacks and safeties can only cover for so long before somebody is, they're just going to get open. Because we get tired, you know, eventually the longer they're out there, they're going to make a misstep. And that's when a lot of those big passes happen is, hey, the line held the pocket for, you know, four or five seconds, and the quarterback had nothing but time, and somebody just got open. So in a lot of these plays, I don't expect, you know, the average, average fan to notice it right away. But the fan who's really looking to kind of see, hey, where are these battles being won? I expect them to kind of rewind the play and watch the tapes a little bit and see – all right, hey, this time I'm going to take my eyes off the ball, and I'm going to watch the line and see what the line did. Um, before the snap is another good area where you can see kind of what the line's doing. Uh, the center is notoriously – needs to be, honestly, one of the smartest players in the field because he's sitting there, and before he even snaps the ball, he's pointing out different blitzes that are potentially happening. He's pointing out, hey, this is how many rushes we have, and that's just helping the quarterback and the rest of the offensive line adjust their blocking scheme to the defensive play that's coming at them. I know that that's just the big things I would tell, at least on the offensive side, somebody new watching football. That's the first thing I would tell them to look at for the line. Uh, what do you guys have to add? I would say before we jump to the defensive side of the ball, sticking with the offense, one of the biggest misconceptions I think is you almost expect there to be like a perfect, here's one line, here's another line. There's a line of scrimmage in the middle which way are they moving? That's not really how that's ever going to work. So you're going to see offensive linemen purposely, purposefully moving the defensive lines around to where they need to be. So it's possible you're going to have all the defensive players technically beyond the line of scrimmage, but it doesn't matter because the offensive line opened up a hole in the correct area for someone to run through or created that semi-circle pocket for the quarterback to step up into make a perfect throw after four seconds, that'd be one hell of a pocket. So it's not necessarily just you're entirely like a wall, moving a wall. It's more of molding the other team to doing what you want them to do. And that I understand it can be tricky to understand if you don't know what you're looking at, but I wouldn't expect to see just sheer, 100% movement uniform across a line. Yeah. So for me, I played uh, I played offensive line more primarily, I, I guess would be the right way to say it. Uh, my freshman and sophomore, so my first year as a high school. Uh, and then my junior and senior year, we switched offenses. We started running a, uh, uh, a single tight end set. So my offensive position changed to tight end which I enjoyed because uh, you got to do a little bit of everything. You got to do the run blocking and some pass blocking uh, as well. Uh, but you also got to go out for routes. Like we, I was an eligible receiver. 
Uh, but the thing was, I, I also didn't get to play a ton. We had another guy who was a little bit better than me at tight end, so I played a lot more defensive end, played a lot more on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, so for me, if I'm watching, if I'm wanting to teach somebody how to watch, I'm saying look at their hands. Uh, there's a reason you'll hear some people say holding happens on every play, and it's because that's exactly what happens. To me, it was always a race to who can get their hands to the chest of the other player first. Because if you get your hands to the chest plate of the guy across from me, you control them. You know, uh, it's they can't do anything without you letting them, basically. And the reason that's important on the offensive side is because if the defensive player beats you there, you then have to rip his hands off of you, which is going to open up all kinds of things for him. Because either he's going to just hold on to you and bull rush you over, or as you're worrying about trying to rip his hands away, he's going to do a swim move or a spin move and get around you. And not to mention, if you just let him keep his hands there, you've got your hands to the outside. So if you do manage to somehow try and block him, that's typically when holding gets called. The other issue is if you're an offensive player and you get your hands there first, you then have to have the speed and the footwork to maintain being close. So if you really want to look, you know, you really want to look at who the best offensive lineman is, or you really want to see who the best defensive lineman is. Something interesting, and I know you're going to, you want to talk about this later, but who draws the most penalties on offensive linemen and who's the offensive lineman with the least amount of holding penalties. Yeah. I think that's honestly a very good way to measure success as an offensive lineman. And it's real quick and easy. If you, if that's a recorded stat, it's a real quick, easy thing to look at and say, Oh, this guy is a good lineman for this reason. That's awesome. So let's transition into that. So I obviously wanted to ask you guys, you know, statistically, do we fall short, you know, in, in how we record data in a number of areas. Like one thing that, you know, sort of drives me up the wall is uh, the, the interceptions stat, you know, for me is not subtle enough where you can have perfect example last season. Now I'm a, I'm a Steelers fan. So, you know, I don't talk about 2019 too much. Um, you know, but there was a, there was a great example of this where, uh, I think it was against the 49ers, Mason Rudolph absolutely threw a dime to, uh, Dante Moncrief, I think who'd come over from the, the Jags or the Colts right on his face mask, burst through his hands, ricochets off his helmet, intercepted by the defense, run back the other way. So that gets marked as the same sort of interception as if Mason Rudolph throws it down the throat of a defensive back. To me, that's, that's a shortcoming of how we record statistics in that I would be, so be an advocate to have some sort of either wide receiver or team interception that's recorded separately of the individual quarterback interceptions. Because when you watch the game, you know, not all interceptions are created equally. And I think, you know, one of the things with, with data like that is you want to paint as accurate a picture as you can. So how do we do that better on the line? Obviously on the defensive side of the ball, we've got sacks, you've got tackles, you've got quarterback hits, pressures, all those sorts of things. You guys may have some thoughts on things we could add or do better there, but specifically again, on the offensive line side of things, yeah, how do, how do we get better at that? Because I think stats are one way that, you know, casual fans will often look, um, you know, whether it's through fantasy football or whatever it is, look at 
who are the best offensive linemen and try and work that out. And there's not a lot of data to actually go off. I'm going to start this on the defensive side, just kind of change it up a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, one thing I would like to see on the defensive side is uh, influenced sacks and influenced pressures. Now, that's going to be something that's tough to define. Uh, but if you take a guy like Khalil Mack, uh, he's double teamed on most of the plays, right? So they effectively take him out of the game. But by doing that, if you're double teaming him and you're pulling, still pulling five guys on a rush, that means somebody else is open. It means because he drew the double team, he was able to influence a potential pressure or a potential sack uh, just based on the fact that he drew two guys to block him. I, I think it's absolute, it, an absolute travesty that defensive linemen who don't get sacks or don't get tackles or don't get pressures in a game are basically considered to having no stats. Mm. It, those three stats don't tell you how a defensive lineman's game went because they, if they're controlling the line of scrimmage at the point of attack and they're, they're causing these different things to do, um, like the running back bouncing outside or things like that, those all factor into how the defensive lineman played. On the same hand, I kind of see the same thing with the, uh, with the offensive line. The only thing you really have for them is sacks allowed, holding penalties, and um, they may or may not keep this now, but pancake blocks. There's more to an offensive lineman's game than that. So, again, maybe it's a team stat. Maybe it's not. I'd like to see how many, how many times they held the pocket for three seconds. How many times did they give the quarterback three seconds of time? Because that is the universal given for a quarterback. Even in high school, I had my coaches uh, heard my coaches tell my quarterback, hey, you have three seconds to get rid of this ball. And they did get a stopwatch. And if he didn't get rid of the ball in three seconds, he uh, – Blue stopwatch and said, you've been sacked. Why? Because we don't expect our linemen to hold their blocks for more than three seconds. Mm. Out of those are just the, yeah, go ahead. You talk about like, you know, that sort of thing about a defense, you know, a, um, a guy who's double teamed most of the time, you know, a, a guy, and I can't say that I watched a bunch of him because I don't get easy access to college football out here, but you know, a name that kind of came to mind was Javon Kinlaw for South Carolina, where in the draft, you know, they talked a lot about the fact he didn't have, you know, very high sack production in college. The guy was like one of the stars on the defense was constantly double teamed. One of those things that you've got to be able to watch and look for that to know how good this guy is. I imagine he's going to have a pretty good NFL career, but, but like you said, being able to record things like that is how many times was this guy double teamed or something? Um, seems like yep. it'd be pretty interesting. So I actually have two anecdotes I want to share here. One kind of goes to that same point. Another is actually for the offensive side of the ball, a different stat. So the first is last year, Ohio State, Chase Young was on a tear, right? First eight games of the season, looking like he's going to break the all-time sack record. He comes back from a two-game suspension. They're playing Rutgers, okay? Rutgers is not very good at football. And so you would think Chase Young should probably have like five sacks in that game. But the thing that Rutgers does to stop Chase Young is they put a tackle and a guard on the same side, both blocking Chase Young, and they keep a running back in the backfield to also chip Chase Young. So he's getting triple teamed every single play that Rutgers was running on offense. So Chase Young didn't record any sacks, and people started to talk about his productions dropping off. What are they doing? Ohio State actually recorded like seven sacks in that game, but none were from Chase Young. 
all were obviously influenced by Chase Young's presence. So I think that's critical if we found a way to be able to record that kind of stat. My next story is more for the offensive side of the ball. So this is one of my favorite players of all time. He was left tackle for the Cleveland Browns for over a decade out of Wisconsin, Joe Thomas. Phenomenal player. Pro bowler every single season. He never made the playoffs because he was on the Cleveland Browns, but he's probably still going to be a Hall of Famer. Probably first ballot, too. He was that good of an offensive lineman. And they had this running back in Cleveland named Isaiah Crowell. And I remember this stat specifically. This was the first time I heard anyone talk about it this way, but I thought it was really interesting. So if, for a running back, typically what you'll look for is about four yards a carry. That's a good number to be shooting for. Crowell had three yards a carry, roughly, behind most of the offensive line. But when he was running behind Joe Thomas specifically, when Joe Thomas was the designated lead blocker on the play, he had over eight yards of carry that season. So if there was some way to measure affected yards per carry for offensive linemen that are designated lead blockers, I think that would make a big difference. I know I've seen some websites try to measure that in some way, or maybe even just take yards off of the running back a yard or two, say that's purely the offensive line's yards. I don't know if that's necessarily the way to go about it, but I think looking at that example, it's it's very evident that a great offensive lineman is going to drastically change the very nature of your offense. So there needs to be some kind of stat in that direction. So I'm, I'm on board with you guys about defensive side of the ball. If we can find a way to uh, see how many times they're double or triple teamed, that's definitely something that needs to be recorded. I mean, you look at uh, – we've talked about him already, Khalil Mack. He starts getting double double teamed later on in the season after Akeem Hicks has gone down, after Danny Trevathan has gone down. They don't really have a whole lot of other pass rush without him. So you double team him, that effectively shuts down the Bears' entire pass rush most of the year. Uh, so you got – you know, if you, if you get double teamed, you got to have either – a whole cast of good guys coming after or at least one other good guy coming with. And that just boosts your whole defense because it's it's insane how much just one guy getting double teamed and one or two injuries can really hurt your team. On the offensive side of the ball, and Tug, I'm sure you've told your kids this, um, you know, offensive line is kind of a thankless job. You know, as, as coaches, I coached uh, junior high baseball a few years ago, but as coaches – Part of our job as coaches is to teach our kids, our players, not just how to play the game, but about life. And in football, the offensive line, frankly, is just a thankless job. But if you don't do your job, the points don't ever get up on the board. You know, the yard, the first downs never happen. The passes never get completed. And the quarterback ends up in the hospital with concussion and broken leg. You look at it, you look at life. We don't have trash collectors. Ask Tank. Francisco, how that went for him when they didn't have trash picked up for what two months and it was just piling up everywhere. There's a lot of thankless jobs, and just because you're not getting that recognition doesn't mean you're not important. Um, I, I really wish, outside of a pancake block, there's something to measure as far as offensive line stats. Because even a pancake block, okay, cool, you put a guy on his butt, took him out for one play, hope you scored on it because otherwise it's kind of a meaningless stat. 
I do like the idea of a uh, uh, like a team stat as far as offensive line goes. Uh, being a hockey fan, you know, plus minus is a big stat that a lot of people throw out and say, oh, it's a nothing stat. And in a lot of ways, yeah, you're right. It's not. It's more, you know, it more reflects on the defense than necessarily on the offensive players, uh, the forwards, I mean. Uh, but at the same time, if it's offensive line and it's strictly an offensive line stat, you know, maybe tight ends and running backs have it in there, you know, hidden away somewhere as well um, on passing plays or tight ends on run plays. You know, maybe maybe we can throw that in there too. But I just I, – I can't honestly think of a way to measure stats uh, for the offensive line. But I don't necessarily think that it's, that it's something that's needed. Yeah. And it's funny, like a lot of this stuff too, even like on uh, on the defensive side of the ball and, you know, you, you get the feeling that teams out there have a lot of this information. That's another thing, I guess, that I sort of think it'd be great if the information was more accessible for people. I, I sort of, I guess I understand why it's not, but then at the same time, I don't know, I'm all for, I guess as someone who's trying to learn the game, I also... Uh, more and more because I haven't played it, you know, and I'm trying to access more information and get better at understanding exactly, um, you know, what is happening down to the minute kind of level. You can see what the advantage would be too for, for more people, for more fans to be better educated about it and have a better understanding of the game. But um, yeah. I, I think for me too, is if you, if you watch the NFL combine as odd as it sounds, I think all the combine, exercises and drills way more accurate and efficient at measuring how good a lineman's going to be versus a skill player because there's plenty of film of these guys catching balls or dropping them stumbling in the backfield or hitting the hole hard but you know these pro scouts trust me they know what they're doing Mm. but if you need that little bit extra and this guy runs one of the top shuttle times in his group man that just sells you on him because you know he's got the footwork, you know he's got that quick, explosive speed, and that's that's really what separates these guys on the offensive and defensive lines. I loved it that at combine this year they had the tight ends doing the um, uh, I can't remember what they called it. Like, is it the sled or whatever? They had some guys that they threw in with the tight ends doing that blocking, and you could tell the guys, even someone as as uh, you know whose understanding is as limited as I. Um, you could really tell the tight ends that had played in, you know, a pass happy offense where they were always out running routes and the guys who had obviously done some blocking before. Oh yeah. Those sleds, I mean... are, uh, <laughs> sleds are a fun one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, it, it's better one. than the shoot, man. It's better than the shoot. Accurate. <laughs> But no, you, you can definitely tell when, when tight ends have been blocking for a while versus, you know, you're more receiving tight ends. Like, Robin Gronkowski, as big as he is, he's, he's not a blocking tight end. And, yeah, he can catch a ball real well, and I'm sure his big body can stand in front of somebody for, for a bit. But if you start getting, like, your Von Millers or your Khalil Max against him, they're just going to beat him with their swim moves or their, or their rip moves, and he's not going to be able to do anything because his footwork is not designed for that. He's trained the footwork to be more of a receiver and that's where that shows. So like you said, that's huge that they brought that out because it helps these scouts kind of realize what kind of tight end that they're looking at rather than, you know, Oh, I just have this really good tight end. Who's good at catching. That doesn't really help me uh, 
figure out whether he fits my scheme or not. I need, I, I need to see that blocking because that's going to be a, a crucial part of our run game at some point. Yeah. So who are the guys then that fans like me, can you make some recommendations for people who are watching the game? Who are the guys they should look out for? Who are some particular guys that if you wanted to search up, search up a game of NFL or college ball, whatever suits you guys, maybe just a couple of recommendations to, to film watch on offensive line and defensive line. Well, I would say for offensive line, a lot of people talk about the Cowboys as having probably the best offensive line in the game. I would actually say the Eagles probably have a better offensive line. Just about every player they have on that line is a top five player at that position in the league. So anybody on the Eagles offensive line is going to be phenomenal. But more specifically, I think I have one for each position here. So Ronnie Stanley out of Baltimore is a phenomenal left tackle. Quentin Nelson out of Indianapolis, fantastic left guard, all pro level left guard. Uh, Alex Mack, the center for the Falcons, very good player, very cerebral, and uh, just a tough dude. That guy, that guy's very good. Uh, Zach Martin, I would say he's probably the best offensive lineman the Cowboys have at right guard. He's, I would say he's probably the best right guard in the league, and second best would be Brandon Brooks out of the Philadelphia Eagles. So that Eagles offensive line, man, it's. It really is something else. Right tackle, I would say Ryan Ramchek out of New Orleans. That Saints offensive line is getting a lot better. And I think Ryan Ramchek, he's only, I think, his fourth year in the league now. He's been a huge part of that turnaround and why they've been more successful in the playoffs recently than they were before he got there. And I, I think you can really tell the difference that tackle play has made for them. Yeah. I think if you want to go – if you want to go look at overall all-time best offensive lines, if you're looking for kind of the best overall offensive lines, I think that 1999 to 2002, I'd probably say, St. Louis Rams offensive line, the greatest show on turf. I mean, Marshall Falk's a Hall of Famer. Kurt Warner's a Hall of Famer. Isaac Bruce is a Hall of Famer. Torrey Holt deserves a spot in the Hall of Fame. Ricky Prohl, you could make the argument, belongs in the Hall of Fame. And Orlando Pace, who was on that offensive line, is in the Hall of Fame. Doug, is there any other O lineman from that from that line in the Hall? I can't. I can't remember. They all get overshadowed by Orlando Pace. That dude was just a yeah. different level. But but the point is, you know, greatest show on turf. They didn't get that name by just airing it out. They didn't get that name by just running it down people's throats. They could literally attack you any way possible, and it all started there with that offensive line. I think that's probably I, – I would put them as the best offensive line unit in the history of football because you look at some of these other teams, you know, uh, we can talk about the Chiefs. Yeah, they've got a great air attack. Obviously, they have great pass blocking. But their run game could be better. I think a lot of the run game is made by uh, the shiftiness of their backs. You look at uh, the 1985 Bears or uh, the Emmett Smith Cowboys, Barry Sanders uh, Lions. First of all, Barry Sanders made a lot of the plays on his own because the Lions have never been mm-hmm. that great. The Bears, McMahon was nothing to speak of at quarterback. So that offensive line was really good at run blocking. And they, oh, by the way, they had one of the best running backs ever. And then Emmett Smith, again, 
hand the ball off to Emmett. He's got that amazing offensive line to run behind. But what I'm getting at is I don't feel like those teams did both facets of uh, of the game as well as the as the greatest Sean Turf Rams offensive line did. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a different note here, and guys, I'm, I finally found it. I finally found a way to give people a reason to watch the Service Academies play football. Now I'm not gonna sit here hey. and tell you that these guys have the greatest lines I've ever seen because they don't. They're undersized, but that's what makes them interesting to watch. So if you don't know Jake here, uh, the Service Academies in in uh, the U.S. So Air Force, Navy, and Army, they all run the triple option, and the reason they do that is because their lines are undersized, so they can't. They can't stand up. They can't bump uglies with, with the, the biggest guys out there. Uh, they're just going to get outpowered and, you know, just run over. So what we do is we run this triple option, and the entire design is to get our linemen outside of their standard, you know, the standard run box that we use and get them to make plays against the smaller guys out there. So if you want to see truly athletic offensive line units, uh, you need to give the service academies a watch. Uh, for the NCAA here, if you get a chance, uh, it gives you a totally different aspect of how, how people can use an offensive line and how you can actually use what most see as a size disadvantage as an advantage moving forward. And honestly, I've never seen teams like Michigan struggle more than uh, Michigan, Notre Dame, uh, than when they play the service academies because they don't play them on a yearly basis. So they're not ready to cover that that type of offense and it makes it really difficult. I'm so glad you brought those up. I, I watched I think... the um, Michigan, uh, was it Michigan army game from maybe 2018? Um, yep. yeah, they are yep. fun to watch and I've got Navy and air force dialed up to watch at some point. I, yeah, I'm very keen to, to watch those games, man. I'm glad you brought them up. Uh, oh yeah. Definitely. I, I had to give my alma mater a shot out there. Nice. I think another interesting thing to bring up is uh, the movie We Are Marshall. It's actually brought up, you know, that Marshall is going to take the game film for all the game film from West Virginia and figure out how to run this VR offense. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, Marshall University, uh, the football team, except for the freshmen, that freshmen weren't allowed to play uh, on the varsity team at the time. Uh, but the entire varsity football team died in a plane crash. And in order to salvage the season, salvage uh, not that season, but the next year to have a team to put on the field, they knew they're going to have to have undersized guys. They went and uh, went with the veer, uh, veer offense, which a lot, much like the triple option allows for undersized linemen because they knew they were going to have to work with that. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of different, ways you can use your offensive line it doesn't always have to be big six five 350 pound dudes awesome yeah but the six five 350 pounders just look so much more exciting (laughs) (laughs) stop shouting yourself out there (laughs) hey i do what i can (laughs) well look guys i've taken up a bunch of time I appreciate it. I appreciate you sharing all your, your knowledge and expertise. And I'd love to have you back on at some point. Um, got a lot of ideas about uh, the show moving forward, particularly in regards to the the positions on the line and even the idea of maybe doing some, some video special stuff for people to, to sort of try and teach them uh, some of the basics of the position and stuff. So maybe I'll talk to you guys about that offline, but um 
I'll give you some space now. Can you direct people if they want to listen to your podcast? How do they do that? So I think the easiest. So way I hate to, to say it this way, but right we're now. <laughs> yeah. The easiest way to find us right now would be to go to Twitter, yep. go to at BDT football. And we've got a few tweets up that have links. Uh, we had a few issues and, uh, with uploading and uh, searchability. It is available on Apple Podcasts and Android. Tugs is on Spotify. And Spotify. Yeah, we're on Spotify too. Cool. Yeah, so uh, you can talk to that a little bit more. We, we've had some technical difficulties, just some growing pains, uh, you know, with a new podcast and everything. But we do have three episodes out. So that's honestly, right, as of right now, that's going to be the easiest way to find us is by going to our Twitter and following the links there. At all. The the other place to kind of give us a uh, a look see is we're posting all our links to uh, a football world discussion group in Facebook. I know that's where we met you, Jake. Uh, so we got to give them a nice shout out there too, uh, guys. It's a great group to be a part of. Some of the best football conversations I've had in a long time uh, there. I mean, outside of this conversation here, it's always a fun one to have. So so yeah, give, give a football world discussion group a uh, search on Facebook. You'll find our podcast links there, and uh, hopefully we figure out the searchability issue here and. By the time we release the fourth episode. Awesome. Sounds great. Can't wait to have a listen. And uh, yeah, if people want to get themselves a bit educated and uh, get some more offensive and defensive line podcast content in their lives, they know where to go. So look, thanks guys so much for coming on. Um, and yeah, we'll sign off. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the JBFE. Look forward to your company next time. Till then, you've been great. I've been reasonable. It's the JBFE. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for joining us on the Jake Botel Football Experience. Make sure to follow us on Facebook at Jake Botel Football Experience and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. Also, we invite you to support the JBFE on Patreon, and you'll receive additional exclusive bonus content. Thank you again for joining us at the JBFE.